Hello and welcome to another episode of Broke Bitch Anonymous. We're back, baby. Once again, after a little bit of a unannounced accidental hiatus, but you know, I'm just realizing at this point in this little pregnancy thing that I have going on that some things are out of my control. I don't feel like myself 100% of the time and committing to things is more difficult than it used to be. And I think that's okay. I think that that will pass. I think that things will be restored to some level of normal at some point. It's inevitable, but for now, you know, I mean, for the last five days, I've said, okay, here we go. Broke Bitch Anonymous, and I can't, I can't do it. And one of the reasons, this is maybe not the best reason, but it's, it's scary, honestly. A friend of mine who is also pregnant um, has preeclampsia, which is a pretty scary condition. It's pretty much when your blood pressure is too high during pregnancy, and it can either happen because you had a pre-existing high blood pressure that wasn't managed, or you developed high blood pressure as a result of like something else going on in your body while you're pregnant. Um, usually like the placenta isn't doing everything it needs to do. And like you have another heartbeat and it's like a whole two sets of organs of everything. It's a whole situation. So anyway, I thankfully don't have it and I think I'll be fine. Um, I don't think I'm very high risk for it, even though sometimes it can come out of nowhere. Apparently I got need to put my phone on do not disturb. I'm so sorry guys. Okay. I actually read up a lot about this condition when I first got pregnant because I remember Kim Kardashian had it with North and I just remember that scene in the Kardashians and it just the she looked like she was in so much pain it looked so scary and I was like I do not want that I don't want that so I did some research about what can prevent it and obviously you know these are not foolproof methods but I was like if there's anything I can do to prevent it I'm gonna do that And they're just simple things like taking vitamins, specifically calcium and vitamin D, things like that, working out, you know, keeping your stress levels in check, drinking water, just basic boring recommendations. But so far, so good. But she has been struggling a bit and there's just a lot of different side effects. And it's it's concerning, honestly, in the past few days, I wake up and she's like saying that she feels you know worse or something is happening and I'm like should we go to the hospital I'll meet you there let's go let's go to the hospital because like I don't want something worse to happen because you know preeclampsia can lead to like organ failure and you know a a lot of things that are even more serious than that I don't even want to speak about them but I'm like let's go let's go to the hospital so I've kind of been on standby to go to the hospital for the last few days thankfully again not for myself but um we haven't gone just because I'm not going to force someone to go to the hospital. Um, But it has been hard to focus on something as trivial as something called Broke Bitch Anonymous, which I realize is not a trivial thing because it's really the only form of employment and work that I have going for myself lately, um, which is arguably my own (laughs) fault. But uh, I also, I guess, you know, a weird thing happened. Um, I'm officially 20 weeks pregnant now and about a week and a half ago, I guess, or like maybe almost two weeks ago now when I was 18 weeks, I went for my anatomy scan, which they pretty much do between like 18 to 22 weeks. So of course I scheduled that shit right away. Um, it was actually an accident that it was scheduled at 18 weeks. It was just like the, it was a bunch of reasons. But anyway, they scheduled it for 18 weeks. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go a few weeks early. I don't mind. Tell me that everything is good and tell me the gender, please. Because my last doctor, even though she had told me the gender through a blood test, she had also told me that I was 35 years old and that, you know, a bunch of things on my records were completely incorrect. So I just didn't trust that that was accurate, which was unfortunate. Plus, I had taken a different test, which had told me a different gender. So I was like really, really skeptical. I really didn't know. I really, I I thought I knew like in my gut what it was. Um, and I realized when they told me at the, at the anatomy scan, I actually, (laughs) I'm such a psycho. I had a full like gender reveal thing planned after not, it wasn't big. It was literally going to be me and like a friend or two. 
Um, but I had, you know, balloons in my trunk and I was going to go get a, like I was going to get them to write the thing down, the gender on an envelope. And I was going to go get the right, um, like confetti cracker thing and then do it in front of my friends. And we were going to record it. It was going to be a big thing, a little big thing. And, uh, I ended up just finding out there at the anatomy scan. And afterwards I was like, I don't even want to do the reveal. I just felt like I didn't even want, I wasn't ready to tell anyone, I guess, which is weird. So I still haven't told anyone. And I think I'm going to wait for, um, I think I'm going to wait for the baby shower, which is strange. I, I, I'm not usually the type of person who likes to keep secrets, but I just not ready to tell people, I think, and whatever. But, um, but yeah, so that happened, (laughs) I guess. But thankfully I, I, everything else, everything else is, is fine except that I am bored out of my mind in Atlanta and I should have seen this coming because I'm not used to I'm not used to this lifestyle of just the repetition of doing the same thing every day while I have done that previously in the past with different office jobs and just careers that I've had I mean, we've all gone through phases, usually most of us, um, who, you know, you have a routine and that's just what your life is for a little while, but I haven't lived like this in a really long time. I'm used to moving around. I'm used to kind of doing what I want when I want to do it. And that sounds really trivial and dumb. I've realized, um, and immature because it's like, you're going to be a whole mother, Uh, You can't really do what you want when you want anymore. That's kind of the point of what you just signed up for. I understand. But it's been a little bit mind-numbingly boring to wake up every day, do the same things. Really, I've just been prioritizing like my health, like working out every day, you know, eating the right things, which is so fucking boring, by the way. I've never not enjoyed eating as much as I have during pregnancy. Like I'm so bored of food because I can't even eat the foods I like, even though I've still been letting myself eat some of the foods I like (laughs) because I just don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care that much to make myself so miserable. But it's like eating has become so utilitarian. I'm I just, you know, every day I take my nasty ass prenatal powder and I take and I have eggs because of the choline and da 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 and you know I cook the meat well and I have vegetables it's like so monotonous it is so boring and plus you know the funnest the funnest great word the most fun usually to me thing about eating was like the drinking that came with it I guess I didn't realize that until recently the social aspect of it and that you know is is has been annihilated so it's just been really a bit dreary and I'm in, in a sense, I'm grateful for the, the boringness of it because I think being bored is really a privilege, like to not have to stress about where you're going to live, to not have to stress about really basic things really is a privilege. And I realized that for so long, my moving around the globe was not only a choice while I, it was a choice, but it was also from a place of insecurity and like, you know, the idea that I had for a while, which is like, well, I don't have anywhere to live anyway. I don't have any family anyway. So like I might as well. And now, you know, that's really shifted and I I don't have that might as well instinct anymore. It's like, no, it makes a lot more sense for you to sit your ass at home now, Um, which has been really an adjustment, but I've been reflecting a lot on my moves, moving, just how I've moved, the moved, how I've moved sounds so weird because people talk, say, use the, use the word move, moving in so many different contexts. Like some, you know, it's like the, you can say, you can use move to mean so many things beyond moving locations geographically. But for this purpose, I'm talking about obviously moving locations <laughs> geographically. And I'm not sure where to start with this because I moved out when I was 18. I moved to Toronto, but before then, when I was a kid, my mom would always take me to Poland. And I do feel like I lived in Poland for a while because we would spend, you know, two months out of every year pretty much in Poland. And if you add that up over about 18 years, that's that's a good few years <laughs> in Poland. 
Um, and I always felt just as at home in Europe as I did in Canada. But then when I was 15, I came to New York for the first time and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, I, I need to live in New York. Like, I don't know how I'm going to live in New York, but I'm going to live in New York and I, I need to, I need to do it. So initially when I was in high school, I applied to go to school in New York. I applied to NYU and the Fashion Institute of Technology because I was like, I just need a reason to go. I don't even know what I was thinking because my parents couldn't afford for me to go to school in America anyways. Like tuition in the U.S. is so expensive, especially, you know, NYU and FIT would be like over $50,000 a year plus living expenses and stuff like that. And I just was being delusional. I was like, I don't care. I want to be in New York. <laughs> That's it. Um, and I think probably by some grace of God, I did not get into either of those schools. With FIT, I actually didn't get rejected. They like fucked up my application where my SAT scores weren't because they were international SAT scores. They like weren't sent in the proper format or something. So it was just an error and they never even reviewed my application. And I remember being so heartbroken I literally like lay on my bathroom floor and cried in my parents house so dramatic in hindsight but I was just like that was my I didn't really expect to get into NYU because I got really shitty grades in high school other than 12th grade I kind of forced myself to get good grades so I could get into a good school because back then Canadian schools for early admission at least the schools I applied to which I only applied to uh, the University of Toronto but at least the University of Toronto, um, they only looked at your first semester or term. I don't even remember what it is, what it was. I think it's terms. I think we had terms. Anyway, they only looked at like your, your early grades in the beginning of 12th grade and then like the last bit in 11th grade and your extracurriculars and stuff like that. And if they found it was sufficient, they just let you in um, at the time back then. So I just knew my 12th grade grades were going to be important. And previous to that, I really did terribly in school. I never got good grades. Uh, the only thing I really did okay in was English. And even then, I mean, I don't think it would have <laughs> outweighed like literally failing math and getting like C minuses in history and everything. I was, I was not a good student ever. Um, but anyway, didn't think I was going to get into NYU from the beginning, but I thought, well, let's just apply because maybe, um, we love to be a little bit delusional around here. And FIT didn't get in so ended up moving to Toronto instead because it was really the closest thing to New York that I felt was in reach for me and it did me pretty well I think but I think moving to Toronto also was the beginning of my not wanting to stay in one place ever like not only was I matched in Toronto with two roommates who were international, one of them was from Dubai and all of her friends at school were also from Dubai and Dubai is like a place of expats anyway. So really she was from Colombia and her friends from Dubai were from like Egypt and all these places. No one was really like born and raised Dubai. Everyone was from somewhere else. So by virtue of that, all of my friends kind of, beyond the friends I made at U of T, which some of them were like locals from Toronto and stuff like that. The girl I was living with, who we were super similar, like she was into you know, all the dumb shit I was into, like partying and fashion and, you know, smoking weed, even though I never really even smoked weed. She smoked a lot of weed. I tried to because I thought it was cool, but I hated it. Uh, but doing other drugs and um, ignoring schoolwork, because we, were, we had all of those uh, beautiful similar interests in common, we just kind of started hanging out and she had such a big friend group that, you know, made it to Toronto from Dubai that like our friends were just very international. And then the other girl that I was living with, who was, we were in the dorm, the three of us were in a dorm together. Um, we all had our own rooms, but it was like a apartment style dorm type of thing was from Washington, D.C. So she was American and we became really close. And all of her friends, um, because she's from D.C., all of her friends like that she went to, to high school with, she went to some like prep school 
boarding school thing, which I guess is really common in D.C., but all of her friends, like parents worked for the government and like the CIA and had all these super high security clearances. And I remember I was 18, so it wasn't really registering any of that stuff at the time. But I remember her just talking about, you know, the people she went to high school with and what their parents do and just all of these high ranking government officials. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't I don't know, whatever. Um, one of the people actually who wasn't, I didn't meet through her, but just ended up being in my circle anyways, was also from Washington, D.C. And her dad was a speechwriter for George W. Bush. Uh, her dad was David Frum, which is funny. I didn't really know who David Frum was at the time. Um, but anyway, just all my friends ended up being like really international. And even though I never went to Dubai, which I really regret, really should have gone Um, I did go to D.C. a lot, and I just felt like I knew almost instantly that Toronto wasn't going to be the place that I settled for good. I knew pretty much from day one of getting there off the flight with uh, cocaine still in my purse. Thankfully, it was a domestic flight, and this was 12 years ago, so leave me alone. Um, And it was probably not even real cocaine. I mean, I was 18. I was buying drugs from some awful person like it was probably just baby I don't know but anyway I was just completely out of my mind not there for the right reasons at all got off the flight probably hung over still had drugs in my purse by literally by accident when I realized I had a full-on anxiety attack the first of many um but I knew in my very ill state of mind and by the way my dad died a month later so it definitely didn't help for the first year or two that I was living in Toronto of having like a sane outlook on things but I just knew that this wasn't forever that it was a stepping stone and I wasn't exactly sure where that stepping stone would take me as much as I dreamed of it being in New York things in Toronto progressed to the point where I actually found a lot more success there than I ever expected to I think I mean, I don't want to downplay it because I did work very hard after I kind of sobered up and graduated and realized that, like, this was kind of it. I had chosen this career in writing, and if it wasn't going to work, then I was fucked. And because I didn't want to, you know, just end up at some plan B, plan C, in some plan B, plan C profession, I, I really did, like, work my ass off to make writing work for me, and um, that's how I ended up being like whatever a columnist at the National Post and being on TV and all that stuff which really is is very small very very small it's actually when I look at it it's really not that big of a success like almost anyone I think can can appear on Canadian television and to be a columnist I mean they give a lot of retards that job who have terrible opinions so it's not like it was that much of a of an achievement but I do think for like being 24 25, 26, it was like pretty good. Like I was doing okay at the time. What I don't understand is how people continue those jobs well into their 30s, 40s, and 50s while raising families and, you know, living full lives, living full lives financially with those paychecks. I I don't, I, I've been very, I was very frank to others who I worked with, um, to other people who I would meet who were older than me about money sometimes. And unless you have family money, I don't know, or you have a book that did well, um, or you have a salaried position, or you bought your house in like 1960. I just don't know how you can add up the money that you make from a writing position, a freelance writing position, a columnist position uh, with the occasional TV appearance, which, by the way, paid like about on average $300 to $500 um, per recording per like five minute, 10 minute recording. Pretty good for five or 10 minutes. But if you're doing a couple a month, it's not it's still not very much money. <laughs> like if you add up all of the work you're doing just for those minutes. But anyway, I just felt like I guess I hit a wall with all of that. And even though I would have probably very comfortably coasted on with it for longer, uh, when COVID hit, 
and all the restaurants shut down and my newspaper completely stopped their food coverage, obviously, because or at least their restaurant coverage, because like nobody was going to restaurants and we didn't know what was going to happen at that point. I think most of us thought, you know, half the population was going to die. So at least I did. So um, I just immediately got fired or like it was paused. All of my assignments were just completely trashed. I remember at that point I was working on a story. I was, I actually, the week before I was supposed to go to New Zealand, but I canceled the trip because I was really afraid of COVID at that time because I had been reading about it since December and how it was spreading from China. I was like, this seems like I don't really want to go to New Zealand and then like be stuck there. Um, I do kind of regret it now. I wish I had just gone because I don't know when I'm going to be able to go to New Zealand again now, but of course you can't predict the future. But anyway, I was working on this story about going to this hotel like a little ways away from Toronto and the food there and whatever. And it just immediately everything was trashed. uh, Everything was paused. They were like, sorry, you you can't do this anymore. Um, And to make matters worse, my boss of like four years had switched positions like two weeks prior. So it was a new woman who I didn't know working as the editor. And she was just kind of like, I don't know you. Um, goodbye. Just don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't pitch again. Uh, we'll maybe later, but not right now. And in the meantime, I had already been like plotting about how I could be spending more time in New York City. And eventually, I kind of just made my way down there by like literally sheer force of will. Um, And when I moved to New York, I really had almost nothing with me. Um, I came with a carry-on suitcase. And I stayed for longer than I was expecting to stay. But it was a very... It was my first time, like, kind of starting from nothing. But I did still have the safety net of my mom at the time still had a place in Canada. And I knew I could go back if I needed to. Like, even though I had pretty much given my apartment up in Toronto and I desperately needed to find a place in New York, um, I I kind of had a safety net. still felt like I had a safety net because I still had a place, like, in North America that I could go back to. Um, And that time in New York, I mean, I guess that was my first real experience. Even though I had been to New York and I had moved there for a summer in 2016, that was kind of like dipping my toe in the water of New York City and living there before really like kind of going all in with no backup plan. Um, and I can't remember if I've spoken about this before, but when it comes to housing, finding housing in a city like New York, I think you have to either get really lucky or know someone or just like literally through sheer force of will force yourself into some apartment because both times I in New York City unlike in Atlanta where I actually applied for an apartment and I got it and I'll get into how I actually did that in a little bit but in New York the first time a friend of mine who was living in Soho had an extra room this was in 2016 and it was empty And I just asked her if I could rent it. And she asked her landlord. And because it was sitting empty and, you know, the landlord, I guess, wasn't getting as much money as he could have because the room was empty, whatever, whatever. He asked, the landlord asked me how much I could pay. And I was so broke at the time. I said, this was a beautiful apartment on Prince Street in Manhattan in Soho. I mean, it was really small because it's Soho, but it was really nice. All new appliances, like beautiful old building. If you know Prince Street, you know, uh, I think it was like Prince and McDougal, like right in the heart of everything. He asked me how much I could pay and I'm so stupid. I was like uh, $600, which the rent there would have been at least $4,000 then. Now, maybe more. Um, And he said, okay. He said, sure. And maybe that's, I know that wouldn't happen for everyone. I, I think it was I don't even think it was pretty privileged because this was over the phone. He never saw me or anything like that. Maybe it was just like, I don't know. Like it was, it was just luck. And because, you know, we both 
had a connection to the girl who was already living there. So he knew that I would, you know, not trash the place and take care of it. There was some level of trust there, but I got really fucking lucky with that. And eventually when I moved out and came back a few years later, the way that I got my apartment in New York City was, do you guys remember when I told you the story about the man, the like hundred billionaire, pretty much the, the real estate mogul magnate person in Manhattan who stole the Celine sunglasses for me and would walk around Soho without shoes. And I took him to the Louis Vuitton store because I wanted these like ugly ass Louis Vuitton sandals at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. That's a side note. But anyway, I took him there because I thought he was going to buy them for me. And instead he just started like complaining outside the Louis Vuitton store with not wearing shoes and people thought he was homeless. It was so embarrassing. But anyway, this man, he had a beautiful, beautiful like penthouse pretty much um, in Soho and he owned the whole building. So he rented out each floor and they were just massive Soho lofts. So stunning. Each one rented for like 10 or 15,000 a month. Um, But he was in, I think, like a hundred million dollars of debt for a building that he had just bought in California. So I remember him being really stressed out and kind of all over the place and drinking a lot. Like he would always have a bottle of vodka in his hand whenever I came over. He would always have these like Russian girls around, like these young Russian girls who I remember once when he was like passed out on the couch um, from drinking too much because he was just out of it all the time. He had all these like, you know, nice groceries in his fridge, like you know, wild salmon and berries and things that probably like a housekeeper had put there or a friend had put there just to like help him survive. (laughs) Because at that point, he seemed so incapable of taking care of himself. And obviously he had the money to buy nice food. But one of the Russian girls, I will never get this memory out of my mind. It's it ended up being a core memory for me. But they were clearly like these girls were they had just overstayed their visa from Russia and like making it work and they were all really really lovely nice people but clearly like didn't have a lot of money and were just hanging out with this man because he could offer them something whether it was a free place to stay like whatever it was so one of the girls after the man the guy had passed out went in the fridge and just took all of the good food and put it in her purse and I looked at her and she's like whatever like he's probably not going to eat it anyway. I was like, no, good for you. Like that is the side of moving to a new place, specifically a new country with no family, with nothing that is often not seen. And as much as it looks glamorous when you see someone moving to a new place, you don't usually see their real struggle like up close that that shit is ugly and awkward and her taking the food out of this man's this drunk man's past it like passed out drunk man's fridge and putting it in her in her like Michael Kors purse is just a core memory to me so anyway shout out to her I love that for her um I think she's still doing well but he ended up hooking me up with because I was effectively I was effectively not homeless, but I was pretty much, I mean, I was paying night to night in a room for a room in little Italy that initially was an Airbnb. And after my Airbnb terms ended like the first week, um, I just asked if I could stay and I was paying her like every couple nights until I found something. It was like $50 a night, which is honestly a lot like it feels like a lot when you add it up like every day having to pay $50 just to sleep in this like closet um and it was also depressing because at the time I had already I thought I had already found a place it was on it was in the Lower East Side oh my god what is that street I miss New York so much ah what is that street there's like Lost Lap and then there's that other street just south of the street that Lost Lab is on. I'm senile. But anyway, it was like on a really convenient street in the Lower East Side. I had rented a room from this guy. I can't remember how much I was paying. I think it was about 1200 a month. It was nice. It was big, even though it was across the street from a really stinky fish market um, that was unloading and loading up raw fish every single day in 100 degree Manhattan heat of the summer. Uh, and it smells really bad. It was still worth it to me. I was in the middle of everything. I was two minutes away from my favorite bar with 
where all my friends would hang out. Like it was perfect at that time. And it was also in this kind of intermission between COVID and New York City where the streets were open and especially on the Lower East Side, it was kind of like Mardi Gras every night because they were doing this initiative to boost local restaurant performance um, or like revenue and stuff. And I think the mayor had signed a thing to allow people to just be like getting to go alcoholic drinks and walking with them and like going from bar to bar with these like plastic cups of margaritas. So that was the vibe every night. And it was so beautiful. And I think I always knew it would be temporary. Obviously, those things can't last. But I don't think I knew how temporary it was going to be because two weeks after I moved into that place, like in the perfect location, great. Um, I got kicked out because the the guy who I was renting from, who was staying in, you know, in the place, he had his own room. Uh, he thought that I was insane for going out during COVID and that I was going to like kill everyone in the house. So he kicked me out. Um, understandable, I guess. In those times, I think especially everyone was on a different page when it came to like safety and stuff. Um, and I probably should have like been very clear in the beginning that I wasn't just going to sit at home uh, with a mask on for the whole summer. Because at that point, I felt like I mean, at that point, the virus had been with us for like almost five months or something, five, six months. So I kind of thought. I understand the risks and I'm in New York and I don't, I'm not going to just let my life like whatever. Anyway, so he kicked me out of the place. <laughs> not great. Um, and I didn't get a refund right away either. I mean, I didn't get a full refund. Obviously he like took a cut for his inconvenience of having to kick me out. Fucking asshole. But, um, I was, I panicked and I just booked an Airbnb down the street after he kicked me out and then we started going night to night. So anyway, this rich man who I met on Seeking Arrangements, um, the homeless looking guy with the penthouse who owned the building in Soho, understood my story, wanted to help me out, super nice of him. I did feel like it was a weird dynamic as you know, it probably was with every woman in his orbit, um, where there's like this feeling of potential expectation of some kind of like sexual thing, but I just could not, I could not, I could not. And thankfully he had a lot of other girls around him. So I kind of just tried to maneuver the situation as best I could to get what I needed and, and get out. (laughs) Um, because as fun as it was in the beginning to go over there and drink, and sit on his rooftop and meet some of the people who came around. One of the people that came around, actually, I ended up pretty much falling in love with and dated for the summer. I um, made a complete fool out of myself, probably. I don't know. I can't even remember what it was about him, but I'm not going to go too much into detail about him. I've talked about him before, where his family was like royalty in South Africa, and I didn't know who he was, and everything was cool, and then I realized who he was, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, and I kind of freaked out. And at the time he also had a newborn baby that he had sole custody of and it was a messy situation. And I, now that I'm about to have a child, understand how labor intensive and emotionally intense that must have been. I mean, I can picture it more clearly, but at the time I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. I can still date someone who literally just had a newborn baby. No, you can't. I don't think you can, unless like they're really open to receiving that type of attention and like love from someone and really open to a relationship which is super rare I don't think it's a good idea to date someone who just had a newborn baby with someone that they're not even with anymore like uh, you're signing yourself up for heartbreak you're signing yourself up for disappointment and most likely disaster so anyway I did meet him at the rich man's penthouse But after a while, I kind of realized, like, I don't, well, not even after a while, after, like, four times of being there, I kind of realized, like, all right, this is the same thing every night. Uh, People are just getting blackout drunk, and there's some foreign girls here, and, you know, there's, there's nothing really that productive coming from this. I feel like I already 
met the best person here and we're dating now. So like, I don't really care to be here anymore, to be honest. But thankfully I was I, I stuck it out until this man connected me with a friend of his who was from Wales, uh, in is Wales is in England, I guess. I mean, I don't know in great, whatever in Wales, like, you know, Wales where they have the accents, uh, part of the United Kingdom or whatever. Um, he was from Wales and he had settled in New York and I think like the seventies or eighties or something like that. But I think the late seventies and I don't know where he got his money, but he just started buying up real estate and fast forward to 2020. And now he owned many buildings or at least a good handful of buildings in Manhattan, specifically in the Lower East Side and in Soho. And this is not the type of, he didn't look like the type of person you would expect to like own a bunch of buildings in Manhattan. And what I realized as I started to get to know these people more and more is none of them looked like what you might expect the type of the average person who owns hundreds of millions of dollars worth of property to look like. They all were like society exiles, <laughs> societal exiles. Um, this guy would... You know, he, he wore shoes, so I'll give him that compared to his friend, but he was just all over the place. He had just had some accident, so he was on a lot of pain medication. I hope he's better now, genuinely, but he just always looked really disheveled. They would spend most of their days. I met him to, you know, talk about my new living situation at some Irish pub, like just gross place. Not gross, but just like not, it wasn't, it wasn't like a... It wasn't like Billionaire's Row in Manhattan or something like that, that people picture, I think, these super rich, affluent people belonging to a community like that. It was it was really just a disheveled, kind of slightly always drunk, belligerent group of older men who made a lot of money in the 80s and now were just coasting off of their earnings and probably can afford to do so comfortably for the rest of their lives. So anyway, he took a liking to me. I think once again, there was this like weird innuendo of like, well, you know, my friend said you're like a really nice girl and like it's fucking weird, but whatever. I went with it because the apartment and this, I guess, is terrible advice for anyone moving to a new city. Go on seeking arrangements and find a billionaire and get him to connect you with one of their friends that owns property and then move into that property. This is not advice, okay? Don't come here for advice. I'm so sick of people, by the way, side note, always looking for advice. There is no advice in this life, for the most part. Try your best. Don't allow yourself to get too comfortable. And keep it pushing. This is not advice for absolutely anyone, unless you take it, it works for you, great, so happy for you. This is not advice. This was all a fluke largely a fluke and it was a situational thing and it was also t the timing of it was just you know half the city was empty and had ran fled New York City because of this virus and the rest of us that were left were dealing with whatever we were dealing with so don't listen to this for advice please lord but anyway he um let me move into this apartment which was so fucking amazing and I think I've mentioned this before, but he was actually really close friends with Basquiat, it turns out, like Jean-Michel Basquiat in the 80s. And I guess he helped sell some of Basquiat's art. They used to hang out. For some reason, he had like a shit ton of Basquiat paintings in his house and then also in the place beside his house that I was renting. So I had original Basquiat's like all over my walls, like for, for real originals. And in his house, he would like, he's like, oh yeah, those are Basquiat's crayons, like whatever. And he was like friends with this dude. Like he didn't buy, like maybe he bought some of the paintings. I'm not sure. But a lot of them he just had because like they were friends because that's what happened, I guess, when you were in New York in the 80s and, you know, in the Lower East Side and like just doing whatever they were doing. So... I found, I ended up living in this apartment. It was so fucking dope. It was above this like barbershop in Chinatown on Pell Street. It wasn't even zoned for, um, it wasn't zoned for an apartment. It was zoned for a business. So because of that, 
And there's a lot of places like that in Manhattan specifically, I found anyways, that it's not really like a legitimate apartment apartment, but people still live there and they've kind of converted it into an apartment. I don't know the specifics and God bless this man. So anyway, it was this apartment above a barber shop. And because it wasn't like, I guess, zoned for an apartment building, they couldn't have ever done, they did, couldn't do renovations to split it up and make it smaller. Like a lot of landlords probably would have if they wanted to make more money off of it because it ended up just being like this really, really big open space, huge living situation for Manhattan um, in a perfect location. And it had, you know, a king size bed, full kitchen, like everything. It was really big for New York covered in like original Basquiat artwork and other artists too but I'm so dumb I don't even remember the names of the other artists but they were not cheap either so that was amazing um and that is how I found my apartment in New York City that eventually I did give up and I actually yeah it's a long it's a complicated story that I am not ready to get into yet but I think the only reason it worked out is because I forced it to work out. There were so many times, specifically when I got kicked out of the first apartment, that I could have just turned around and been like, it's not going to work. But because I was so persistent, and mind you, like I had probably, I don't know, like $3,000 to my name, and I just went with a suitcase if you really want to go somewhere, you know, I had no family. I had some friends, but not, I mean, I didn't have any like super, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have any roots there and I didn't have really any money and I didn't have a job, but I made it, I, I made it work. I, I, I mean, I pretty much I didn't throw away my other life. It was thrown away for me by circumstances that were out of my control. But the point is like a lot of people, I think, stress about how they're going to be able to move to a new city and, you know, how will they bring their stuff and what will they need? And what you realize very quickly when you actually do move is that Number one, you have too much stuff. You don't need all of the crap that you have. You don't need all this shit. And also, when you are forced to start over, there is a lot of sadness that I think comes with that, which I have experienced more so in Atlanta, and I will get to that. But if, I mean, if you want to clear space in your life for, for new things, if you want to Mary Kondo your life, quote unquote, which if anyone's not familiar with Mary Kondo, you know, the this Japanese woman who pretty much tells people to throw away most of their shit and, and thank all their belongings and then throw them away so they, you know, have space in their in their homes and teaches people how to clean up. If you really want to Mary Kondo your life, move to a new city, move to a new state, move to a new country, see how that goes because you can't bring a lot of stuff with you. It'll be very expensive if you do. And maybe it'll be worth it for you, depending on where you're at in your life. But you realize most of the stuff that you think you need and the stuff tying you to a place and the stuff even tying you to a relationship is replaceable. And that might be kind of heartbreaking to realize because I do remember when I was 24 and I was living with my boyfriend in Toronto and we had a really nice apartment. I mean, his parents owned the building, so they, we got a good deal. But we had bought all of our furniture together when we moved in. We built our dining room table together. Like, he built it. It was very, you know, there was a lot of emotions invested into that into that apartment. And I remember after when we were going to break up, or when I knew we had to break up, when I knew it was time, for the first for the couple months leading up to the breakup, because you kind of know when you're in a long-term relationship, usually the breakup doesn't just, unless it's totally not mutual, but usually you kind of can feel it and you kind of know in your gut that it's it's not working. Like, you, you know. So in those months leading up to the inevitable split, I remember just looking at all of our stuff in the apartment and being like, I can't leave because what about this stuff? What will we do with the stuff? 
And let me tell you, like, you can either be the type of person who hangs on to the stuff and stays in the same place forever, or you can just realize that the stuff doesn't matter. You can buy new stuff. There's stuff everywhere. And you will be fine leaving it. So I left him. I ended up leaving him the apartment because, I mean, it was his parents' place. So it would have been probably kind of psycho if I was like, no, this is mine now. But I left and I only took a suitcase. Everything else I left there. He still, I think, lives there with all of the old stuff. And that's fine. I'm happy for him. He has a lovely apartment. But once I left and I left the stuff behind, you realize how meaningless most of it is. Now I will say that I am more settled here in Atlanta. There are some things that I really miss having that are still in Toronto. And I've asked a friend of mine, my old roommate, to send them to me. She hasn't. But there's some like memories, you know, like I have old pictures. I have this trunk in Toronto of just pictures from when I was a baby till my whole like all of a lot of newspaper clippings. I have a lot of really important stuff in it. And I really, really want that back. And I've realized though, to most people, that trunk is valueless. That trunk would, there's no resale value. It's, it's, it's shit. It's just papers inside a trunk. No one cares. But to me, as much as I had expensive stuff in that apartment and I had all my furniture and I had, you know, many things that people could have sold and made money off of and a lot of designer clothes and stuff that I never took with me. I just left there All I really want is that trunk (laughs) of pictures. And the only other thing is like these fridge magnets that I, cause I used to buy fridge magnets to every place from every place I traveled and my fridge was covered in like magnets from all over the world. And I really miss those magnets and I really miss that trunk and I really need her to get them back (laughs) to me. So hopefully she hasn't thrown it away. Please Lord Sophia don't throw it away. But anyway, what you realize is a lot of the shit doesn't matter. And you can't, you can't let this stuff keep you tied to a place. You, you just can't. So now I guess moving to Atlanta by accident, I literally came here by accident. Um, I never meant to stay more than a week, but I did. And now it's been a while (laughs) and I'm having a child here and they're going to be born in Atlanta. So I don't know how long I'm going to stay. I don't know how long we're going to stay, but I have started to think about selling my house and eventually moving. And I know that that's really premature because I'm literally like building a whole nursery here. And it's nice to have this stability of not having to pay rent and stuff like that. Um, So I'm not, I'm not moving anytime soon, but I think what I have come to understand, and this is not a new understanding for me, this is not a new realization, but eventually When you move to a new city, it feels like a party for a little while, especially, you know, when you move somewhere far away, you know, that feeling where you're traveling and you've had a few drinks and you kind of look around and you have these like super, super heavy rose colored glasses on about the new place. And you're just like, wow, this is, this is the best place ever. I could totally live here. I think everyone has that when they're traveling and they're enjoying themselves Eventually, when you move to that new place, that's how I used to feel about Atlanta, by the way. Every time I would come here, I was like, I fucking love it here. Um, I never thought I would move, move for real, for real, but I did always love it. And I could always see myself like spending a lot of time here. But eventually that party ends. The party ends no matter where you live and you just kind of settle into whatever your routine ends up being. And you have to ask yourself, do you still want to stay once the party's over? And I think a lot of people realize when they move to a new place is that they don't. And you get caught in this cycle, if you're anything like me, of constantly being pushed and compelled to go somewhere new. And there is a sadness to that because you do lose out on a lot when you're constantly relocating. I mean, you lose out on having like deep roots in a place and you realize why people have roots anywhere and why they start families and stay in a place and why they live close to their families. And you realize the value of that. It's inevitable to see how valuable that is when you don't have it. But to me, there's also always been something that feels very regressive about staying in the same place forever. And I'm, I know that's probably makes me sound like a bitch, 
But if you're staying constantly in the same place, whether or not you love it, which I'm, of course you must love it if you're always going to be there, but how can you really, how can you be so sure that that's the place that you want to live forever if you've never really tried living anywhere else? And how can you really also even know who you are completely if you've never really pushed yourself to live somewhere else? And a few months here and there, I don't think it counts. And I understand not everyone wants to go through the hassle of visas and traveling and moving all your shit internationally. I, 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 I get it. I'm not saying this to be too judgmental, but I think maybe I, this is something I have to tell myself because I've moved so much. Um, but it has always felt kind of aggressive. Like you, you're friends with all the same people you were friends with since childhood. Maybe I'm just jealous, but I just can't. And maybe that's also inevitable because like I look at my mother and she moved from, she escaped communism in Poland and she moved to London, England, and then she moved to Toronto and then she moved to Vancouver. And now she's back in Poland, like taking care of her mom. So maybe you can only run for so long until eventually your home catches up with you and you go back. And you're lucky if you can go back. A lot of people can never go back home. But at the same time, if you have that inclination, I guess, to move somewhere, I feel like it's the best thing that you can probably do because even if you hate it, your sense of self now becomes so much stronger because now you know more clearly what you do and do not like. You know more about yourself and it's more intense than just traveling to a place. Moving is much more intense than traveling. And I respect people who are like, oh, well, I've traveled. So I know, you know, I know what it is over there. Yeah, I get that. But it's very different, obviously, to live in a place. And I think until you really submerge yourself in a new city or just a new location, it really sharpens your sense of self for sure. And especially, you know, having to make new friends, having to build a new community. At a certain point, it becomes exhausting once you've done it too many times, even though I haven't done it that much. Like I do find myself missing my old friends and missing the old versions of myself that I was in different parts of my life in different cities and it's hard to not miss all the places you've lived even though you chose to leave and I know if and when I choose to leave Atlanta I will miss this time so much but maybe it's like a bug where (laughs) Once you're used to this lifestyle of constant relocation every few months, I mean, not every few months, every few years, it's hard to kick it. And it's really hard for me to fight the urge of like not daydreaming about moving back to New York or something like that in the next few years. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not sure how to deal with it, but that is what I'm thinking about now. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, you just got here. Like, what is your problem? You just got here. Just can you chill? Can you please just chill? Um, But yeah, moving. Aside from that, I know probably if you're listening to this, you're probably younger than me. I don't know. If you haven't moved to a new place and you're all I want to say, I guess, is if you haven't moved to a new place and you've considered it, and you have some safety net of something, even if you don't have much of a safety net, I do think usually it's worth it. As long as you're not leaving people hanging. Like if you have kids and shit, it's different. But if you don't have them yet, I think you should move if you want to. Don't spend your life wondering what it would be like to move to Houston or anywhere else. Try it see if you like it and you can always come back home I hope and I mean ultimately I don't know why my mic sounds so weird all of a sudden so I hope it doesn't sound weird to you guys but one of the reasons why 
and I'm not the first person to say this. I won't be the last, but I will say it. One of the reasons why people don't get what they want in life is because they never figure out what it is. And I think most of us are probably guilty of that to some extent. It's pretty hard to pick one thing and go after it, period, in life. It's hard to not get distracted. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of comparisons. There are a lot of career paths. There are a lot of fucking life paths. There are a lot of cities to live in. There are a lot of choices to make. It's hard to know exactly what you want, unless you're one of the lucky few people. However, I do think that moving, if you have that inclination, can help you figure out whatever the fuck it is you want in life. Do you want to be close to family? Do you want to be the next, I don't know, Jeff Bezos? I, I don't know. It will, it will sharpen your perspective on things, whether you want it to or not, because it's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. You might be stealing fruit from a billionaire's fridge when he's passed out. You never know. You never know what road life could take you down. And if nothing else, you will become less judgmental. You will become more understanding. And I think you'll be a better person just like you are, just like you become from traveling. I think traveling makes you a better person if you do it with, you know, any sort of open mind. Even if you don't, I think traveling makes people better people. You have to see what else is out there in the world. You have to experience other cultures. You have to not look at everyone else like some other type of person. You have to be out of place once in a while. But I do think that both traveling and moving especially uh, just sharpens your perspective on what you want and hopefully makes you more understanding, more compassionate person. But anyway, besides that, it is Saturday morning still, thank God. And I might, (laughs) I might treat myself with a little trip to one of my favorite shopping plazas. I have such a shopping problem lately, you guys. And I know it's because like I I'm, I'm having this person join me in my life soon. So of course there are things to get prepared for in that regard. But, you know, at some point you have to turn the faucet off, I think. And I, and I'm coming to understand that like, as much as in the beginning, I was like, oh, I only want a little bassinet and a nice stroller and some cute clothes. And I don't want anything else that quickly, quickly explodes into, well, I need 400 different things because that's what everyone else has. So that's what I want. And it just quickly snowballs into fueling a shopping addiction that I've always had, um, but is, is definitely flaring right now. And I think also because I'm, I'm pretty bored, like being stationary, which I feel bad about because I know there's a lot of productive things I can be doing while being stationary here. I also feel too unwell most days to do those productive things to my full capacity. So it's like, I, it's just a vicious cycle where it's like, I feel bad. I'm not doing the things I said I was going to do. Some days are good. Some days are good. Some days are better than others, but some days are not good. And, um, so I'm like, I, I, I feel bad. And then I'm like, but I'm bored. I want to go out and go somewhere. I really want to go back to LA. I don't know why I'm just like really craving going to the Beverly Hills hotel and just having a really nice stay there but it would probably cost about $4,000 just for the hotel for like two nights, two or three nights. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Would love that for me though. Maybe later in the future, definitely later in the future. But yeah, this shopping addiction right now is, is real. And the weirdest part, not the weirdest, I guess this is expected, but I haven't bought anything for myself in months. Barely. I bought like a couple pairs of shorts, like in a size 10. So that's cool. Um, pretty big size, but it's fine. Uh, but none of it is for me. And yet it's very, it's more exciting than shopping for myself. So that's an illness that I have to deal with. But um, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of figuring out how I'm going to be one of those rich wives who 
lives a life where it's like they've kind of won the life lottery. You know, when you see like that rich wife going to Whole Foods in her like aloe yoga or Lululemon outfit, driving her brand new like Range Rover or like Audi SUV or something like that and just seems like they have it all together and you know that they're probably not working. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to be that while I am on pace to be a single mother, uh, completely taking care of everything myself. So we're going to figure it out. (laughs) Um, But I think shopping has just been like a, a welcome activity and distraction and source of entertainment but it's it's stupid and I I do need to stop soon for now I probably will not anyway I hope you guys have a good weekend too if you're listening to this then and yeah I I'm sorry to drag it on like this I don't normally do this but I really hope that if you, if anyone is listening to this and wondering about moving, I really hope that you just may, I hope I can eliminate some fear because it really is worth it. It really is worth it. And if nothing else, it will make you a more interesting person. You will have more interesting stories to tell. And, and maybe that's not the best reason to do something, but I think it's, I don't know, just as worth it as most other reasons. So make the move, baby. You don't need much. You don't need much. You need a suitcase and a plane ticket. And you can figure out the logistics when you get there. At least that's my advice. All right. Good luck, everyone. Don't go shopping too much like me. Save your money. Save your money. Actually, save your money, though. We are really, it feels like entering some kind of recession. I mean, at least the world is sobering up from like a lot of the free money and cheap credit that has been available to us for the last couple of years. And it does feel a little like the the seams are tightening around the the extremities of of my of our lifestyles kind of. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, save your money. Good luck out there. Good morning and uh good night. <laughs>